Well, hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. Some of you are brand new here. I've met some friends uh, today. Really glad you're here. My name's Ben, one of the pastors, and um, we're just really glad you're hanging out with us. Hey, if you've ever uh, felt like you have been in a place where you're kind of overextended, maybe overscheduled, overstressed, overcommitted, and underrested, and kind of just fatigued and stretched and stressed and like wondering what in the world, what have I done, how did I get into this mess? And that maybe the idea of just stepping back and just saying, can I just simplify? If that sounds attractive and important to you, it probably is. And we're going to start a new series next week called Simplify. It's all about that. It's more than just technical surface level stuff. We're going to get at how to unclutter and declutter our souls. So that starts next week. Get in the group and get the book and or be here next week, all the above, and we're going to jump in. But today, three chairs. Three chairs. Um, now, uh, this thing about chairs, I found this little short little clip, uh, about a two-second clip that I want to show you because I thought it was cool. Can I show you a two-second clip Cause I, only because I think it's cool? Can I do that? Of course I can. All right, so go ahead and watch the screen. See if you think it's as cool as I did. Is that cool or what? Watch it again. Watch this guy. This is cool. I want to learn to do this. One more time. I want to do that right there. That's cool. Now, what I love it because he's, he's nonchalant. He's all relaxed, like no big deal, like, you know, just kind of happened. But you know this guy worked on that and probably fell on his butt a few times. He gave it some thought and a lot of practice, right, as he worked on that thing. Here's what I would like to do today is to give you an opportunity for you to give some thought about which chair you are in. This message of three chairs is really about uh, three different categories that every single person falls into. Every person listening to me now, every person in society, basically fits into one of these three chairs. Uh, the, the idea really came from an old message uh, done by a guy named Bruce Wilkinson years ago, and uh, we kind of liked it, and we stole it, and tweaked it, and used it at Mountain, and it was so effective that we did it again. You know, I've had so many people, even recently, over the years at Mountain tell me, you know, Ben, it was that message, that three chairs message that God really used in a powerful way in my life to help me get on track with God where I wanted to be. And so we're going to do it again and trust that God will show up in that way. The idea is pretty, pretty simple. You know, uh, the idea is it's an opportunity for you, for all of us to do some honest self-assessment about where we really are with God. You know, I, I've, heard, um, I've heard it said that um, the first task of a leader is to define reality. In other words, to look at the situation and to be able to describe it accurately, like what really is the case. Not what I want to be the case or not what used to be the case, but in fact, what is going on with me. And, and so spiritually speaking, that's what we want to do today, to give ourselves a chance to look in the mirror spiritually let God look at us and say you know what really is going on and so that's where the chairs come in because they give us a way to talk about each of those so let's just jump in and let's talk about chair number one this is the first chair over here people who sit in the first chair they are not perfect but they are people who have um, come to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and they have chosen him as their Lord and their Savior, and they are engaged with Him in a real relationship that's vibrant and alive. He's the leader of their life, and they want to serve Him. If you were taking notes and kind of made three columns, that might be a good idea. Or in your phone, as you're jotting down ideas to remember each chair, the key word for this chair, I would say, is the word commitment. 
Because it's really a person who's made a commitment to God and knows that God has made a commitment to them. So you get this idea of loyalty here with chair one. Loyalty not just in the sense that, man, I know God is going to be faithful to me no matter what, but that God can count on me and I'm going to be faithful to him. That's chair number one. Around here we talk about living as a disciple described in terms of love God, love people, and serve the world, right? And so a chair one person has something going on in each of those areas. Love God means, you know, I've, I've got a real vibrant expectancy when I come to worship gatherings like this and I leave somehow changed or touched by God. And, and I have a personal relationship with God that, that sort of grows while I'm by myself as well. Love people means I'm in relationship with some other people who are also serious about their faith, and that inspires and encourages me. I'm also reaching out to other people who are far from God, and I want to be an influence for them for God. And serve the world means I got an attitude of service and humility, and I want to make a difference, and I'm actually doing stuff for the kingdom of God. That's chair one. The word is commitment, okay? Now, chair two has a whole different vibe to it. Uh, Chair number two, the best word, honestly, to describe it would probably be the word compromise. Because on the one hand, this person wants to believe in God and does believe in God and wants to have that kind of relationship uh, with God. And yet some of that commitment has kind of weakened, usually over time in a kind of slow fade sort of way. Just a kind of weakened commitment, a faith that you might say is is faded. Jesus actually um, talked about this kind of thing. He talked about chair two uh, living a number of times. Uh, one of the places is when he told a story about um, a farmer who goes out slinging seed all over. And his, the, the farmer's hope is that the seed will land on the kind of soil that will receive that seed and, and help it grow and flourish and blossom. And of course, Jesus is talking about our lives. What he's hoping is that we will receive him and the truth of his good news in a way that our lives will flourish and blossom in positive ways. But Jesus says it doesn't always happen that way. And in the story, the farmer slings seed and it lands on different kinds of soil. Sometimes it lands on the path and birds come and gobble it up. Or sometimes, so it looks like it was going to start, but then it gets snatched away. Or sometimes it'll land on rocky ground with a thin topsoil. So the thing grows up and it looks great, but there's no root system and all of a sudden it's gone as quick as it came. And so, you know, as I'm describing that, those words of Jesus, you might even be thinking about your own life or other people you know perhaps where you see that's exactly what's happened. Maybe you, you'll say, you know, that kind of describes my life, where you made a good start, but maybe that's not really how things are playing out right now for you. Um, maybe someone planted some spiritual seeds in your life, and things were happening there, maybe when you were younger, but then through whatever set of circumstances, you went to middle school, or something happened in your family, or you went to high school, or college, or joined the military, or got a job, whatever, you kind of found yourself taking a break from God. Life circumstances got in the way, and you've just kind of you know, moved away from that closeness and that relationship with God, and kind of taken a spiritual vacation. You'll notice this, um, this chair rolls, and that's kind of fitting, because this chair can kind of, like, if I'm with if I'm with some folk that um, are church types, I can kind of talk that game and be there. But I also know how to kind of mix it up and interact with those who are really far from God and aren't, don't have the things of God at all in their mind. It's kind of the, the epitome of that compromising ability to kind of move and, and waffle. Okay, so that's chair two. Commitment, 
compromise. That leads us to chair three, which again has a whole different feel to it. I like talking about chair three because, you know, it's the most comfortable chair. Yeah, me and my recliner, we go way back. The best word to describe chair three would be complacency, comfort, okay, and just complacency. The person in this chair, now they may appear to be a wonderful person. They may be kind and nice and gracious and healthy and wealthy and wise and all of that stuff, or they could be a total jerk. They could be, you know, a terrible mean scoundrel and all that. It doesn't have anything to do with it. The appearance is not the deal at all. Uh, the, the issue here is, and the common thread is that they are spiritually complacent. They're in a place where they have not really done much with God and they're okay with that. They're comfortable. Jesus talked about that in the story about the seeds as well. He says some seeds grow up, but thorns grow up with it and choke out the plant. And Jesus says that's kind of what happens with the cares of this world. When other things just become more predominant in my life, other priorities, other things of this world that just are more important to me than the things of God, that's what a chair three person is really like. So this person could be an avowed atheist, like the person at the party who says, I don't believe in God and all that. Or it could be a person who would even say, you know, I, I, you know I'm a churchgoer. But honestly, honestly, this would, person would be like a practical atheist. A practical atheist is someone who, regardless of what they say, when it comes down to reality and the practice of it, they're really, they act and live their life as if God didn't exist. And they're okay with that. That's complacency. So we've got three chairs, three key words, commitment, compromise, complacency. Now let's go back through it again and let's kind of look at an Old Testament passage which really fleshes this out. I invite you to open your Bible if you've got it to, to um, Joshua chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible or with, with you on your phone or whatever, we'll put it on the screen. That's okay. Um, so here we're getting at a place where here's this guy, a leader of God's people named Joshua, and he is a classic first chair kind of person. He wants to put God absolutely first in his life and help others do the same. Um, so he is saying in verse 14, now honor the Lord and serve him faithfully with your whole heart. Okay. Doesn't that sound a little bit like love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's first chair right there. And that's what Joshua is saying he wants to do. And he wants everyone else to do. He says, throw away forever those other false gods which your ancestors worshipped over there on the other side of the river. Don't go after that. You make a break. And he calls them to serve the Lord alone. Look at the first part of verse 15. He says, but you've got to choose. You've got to make a, a decision. You've got to draw a line in the sand. He says, now, others are going to do their thing. But you let your parents do what they're going to do. You let your friends do what they're going to do. You let other people do what they're going to do. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And there it is. That's the first chair. It's bold. It's kind of not wiggly or waffly. It's just right out there, sold out to the Lord. No fuzzy factor at all. Commitment. Now, what's interesting is the same group of people, as time moves on, all right, from that point, if you turn in your Bible just one page over to Judges chapter 2, what we see is how over time the commitment begins to crumble and the faithfulness begins to fade. And if you just turn over to Judges chapter 2, it's the same group of people, but several years later, you see what happens is they're now sitting squarely in chair 2. See if you can see what I'm talking about. Judges chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, and the leaders who lived longer than Joshua, he talks about all those folks who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. 
Now, it's subtle. You may not even notice it if someone didn't point it out to you, but it's there because it's kind of a slow fade. And by the way, that's how it always happens. It's kind of just a slow, gentle drifting because the relationship you'll notice with God has moved to past tense. Do you see that? They're referring back to the times when God was really active in their life, when God had done these things, when God had done all of these things. And in fact, God had done a lot in their lives. He parted the Jordan River for them. He made the sun stand still. He gave them the victory of the battle of Jericho. All these great things that, you know, were great stories to tell. But they're referring to it, oh yeah, I remember that, when God was really active in our lives. When you find yourself in a place where your relationship with God is more of a memory then what's going on in the moment, that's a clue that you could be in share too. When you're, what's going on with God is more of what's going on as a memory in the past in your life, at a former time, then what you could really tell is going on right now with you and the Lord in the moment, then maybe that's an indication you're in share too. Now watch what happens next because it's, it's a perfect example of further spiritual regression in these people. And the next generation slides right down into chair three. If you look at verse eight, Judges chapter two. So here they are. Joshua dies. And the people who knew Joshua and made their commitment with him that day, they died as well. And then it says, another generation grew up who did not even know the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. You see it? Verse 12 says, they just went their own way completely and they lived their life as if they, they, God had done nothing for them and they abandoned the Lord as if he had, uh, done, who, who had done all those great things in their life. So you see that movement from as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord to, um, I remember when God used to do stuff in our life, in my life, to I don't even know the Lord. Do you see the movement from, man, I know God to I know about God to, I don't even know God. And you can probably think of examples where you've seen that very shift yourself in a family, in a nation, in a person's life. It happens as well. So that's the movement. That's, that's, that's the example of, of the three chairs. Now let's just kind of go through several different categories and to kind of help us think about how it, how it works and you be thinking about your life and... Maybe where you sit. One, one, of the, one of the clearest ways to get at which chair is really the chair for you is, is how we think about God, because it's very different in each chair. In chair one, the key word for how we think about God would probably honestly be the word relationship. Relationship, because God is real. And it's a relationship that's there. God is not some cosmic being, some distant impersonal force not some traffic cop in my rearview mirror that I'm always creeped out by and afraid he's going to pull me over you know but God is this real engaged with me being who's in my life prayer for me is, is this in chair one it's real it's real me having a real conversation with the real God I'm not trying to run from God I want more of God in my life because I know God loves me I'm in relationship with him so like our dear friend Barb Carpenter um was a person, she knew God, member of our church here, and just not long ago, she died of cancer. And in her final days, Carla and I got to go be with her, and as we were there in the hospital, in a hospice room with her, you know, she said, Ben, I know 
where I'm going. I know what's going on. But she said, right now, you know what? Jesus is so real and so close. She said, heaven is so real and so close. And she said, things that are important in life and really matter are so clear. And things that aren't, that's clear too. You feeling that? That's chair one perspective on God. Now, chair one, people don't live there every moment of their life, but they're open to that perspective and that invades their reality, their conscious thinking a lot more often. That's chair one. I've told you about the plaque we have in our house that says Jesus is the head of this house. He's the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. And if you really believe that, that your consciousness invites the presence of the Lord into your conversations and your mealtimes into your life in every day and every moment, well, then that's a relationship you just cling to and you know that God is clinging to you. That's chair one. Chair number two, when it comes to how you think about God, it's not relationship at all. Probably the best word to describe it would be more like religion. The Christianity for chair two is not a relationship to be enjoyed as much as it is rituals to be endured. And so, religion. And religion, you see, is about what you got to do. It's like, do this, and do that, and do this, and do that. It's like, as we talk about around here, Christianity boils down to a bunch of doo-doo. And then you never know where you're going to step. You know, you're always worried about it. And that's, that's how it feels. And, and, or it's actually, it's more like, don't, don't. Like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And, and, and that doesn't feel like much fun either. So church becomes this, this duty. You come in, you're not expecting anything to happen, and so it doesn't. You leave unchanged, and so you have this relationship. Now, the beauty of this chair, too, is that it does come with a beautiful chest of drawers. And the reason for that is that the chest of drawers allows you to keep different drawers of your life neatly compartmentalized. See, this is how it works with chair two kind of people. So you have like, say, a drawer up here that's your family drawer. It's like, yep, we got, uh, we got your mom and dad, and we got the kids, yep, and we got the dog, right? Okay, it's like, whoop, got a no, we don't have a cat, we have a dog, okay? But that's my family, I keep it right there, okay? Now in here, I got my work, you know, that kind of, but it's a separate container, it's a separate door, a separate drawer in my, in my life. I don't want to really mix it up here. Third down here, I got, I got my personal finances and I just keep that right in there in this drawer with a lock on it. And then this one here, down here, this is my religion drawer. So I got my King James Bible in there. I get it out whenever I go to church and do my God thing, but I keep it in this drawer and it doesn't really mingle and mix with the rest of my drawers. See that? Down here, I got some fun things that are really important to me. I like to play frisbee and golf and, you know, do a little knitting and, ooh, a few things in there I don't really want anyone to see. So we'll just lock that up and not let anyone talk about that. But that's my drawer. That's my life. See, and see, chair two living allows me to keep everything compartmentalized so neatly. And God just becomes one of those drawers in my life. And it doesn't really have much to do with any of the other drawers. So chair number three, the word that would describe how I think about God, ultimately is the word rejection. It's the word rejection. Because this person is rejecting a relationship with God. Now again, they might be very pleasant and happy people, dignified, fine, kind, fun to be around, 
Or they might be violent, mean, ugly, and wacky. It doesn't matter. The common thread is when push comes to shove, they don't choose a relationship with the Lord uh, in their life, this, this one. And they're very comfortable with that. This one who's able to save them, they're saying, no, thank you. So that's a rejection. I'm doing a lot of thinking about this. I got, I got a friend in this chair that's really dear to me, and he's very honest. He's like, you know what? I tried believing for a long time, but it didn't work for me. I didn't, I, didn't do, I didn't know how to do it right, he said. So I'm trying unbelief right now. That's where he is. And I said, I said to him one time, you know, if in the end, for me, if I turn out to be wrong about this whole faith thing, and you're right, I've really risked nothing. I've lost nothing. You know, I still have lived a great life, a happy life, a full life. I've helped out society, my family, and I have eternity, you know, that waiting for me. But, but if you're wrong and I would turn out to be right, well, then you've lost everything, you see. Now, the thing about this third chair is, you know, some people would refer to themselves as atheists or whatever, but some of them would just say, no, 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 I, I believe in everything. It's the opposite of atheism, maybe. So, like, so just like, I just want to embrace Jesus, sure, but right along with everything else, like a big mix of beliefs and all kinds of philosophies and world religions and who knows, like a big eclectic stew that feels very satisfying, and part of me just really wishes this could be true. I really do. Part of me, my personality, I would like that to be true. And so to sort of pretend that all roads lead to the same place and everything, because um, that would feel very comfortable. But when you think about it, if you're going to accept Jesus, you actually have to do it on his terms. You see what I mean? You, I'm not free to sort of invent Jesus to be however I want him to be and then say, oh, I accept Jesus because I'm only accepting what I invented. But Jesus is real, so you have to accept him on his terms, right? And, and one of his terms is that he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way that this God who loves you so much wants you to find your way back to him, and I am that way. So, so to say yes to Jesus and at the same time say yes to everything else that competes with Jesus is actually to say no to Jesus. And so that's why this chair is summed up with that word rejection. How about this one? Here's another category. Um, who's the boss of you? Who calls the shots in your life? That's a great question. And the question is answered differently in each chair. Right? Who's in the presidential suite of your life? Well, chair number one, you know, uh, who calls the shots in your life? Basically, it's clear and simple and already lined out, but it's sometimes difficult to do, and that is God first. You know, sometimes it's not easy because it's like, oh, God might ask you to do something that feels hard in the moment, even though it's going to be better. But God first, it's clear and simple. And so whether it's my family, my job, my finances, whatever, all the, the different drawers in my life, I realize, man, the whole dresser is God and he's first in everything. And so I'm trying to live my life before an audience of one and I just want God to be pleased. So when I go up against a struggle, I, I lean on God first. When I'm facing temptation, I don't try to lean on my own strength. I say, okay, God, help me. I lean on God first. When I'm, when I'm trying to make a decision, I listen, I look at his word, and I listen for God's inner promptings. I keep myself soft and open to God so that I will hear his voice. I don't want to numb my conscience or stop hearing from God. So chair one people are all about saying, man, I want to keep God first. Chair number two, who's boss? is different because you're always conflicted because it's kind of a struggle between God because you want the things we just talked about with chair one, but really self is there as well. So it's God and self. 
I want God to steer the ship of my life in certain ways. But honestly, my feelings drive a lot of my decisions or my opinions or what my Uncle Louie says or what my family tradition is or what some other, you know, so I have lots of other things. When I, when I need you know, power to overcome temptation, I kind of try to do that on my own. I usually fail, so I get up and try again. I just keep spinning around and around. That's why this chair spins, to remind us of that frustration that comes with chair two. And I don't necessarily hear that voice from God in my inner being because I'm so loud with my own voice trying to say this is what I should do and come up with a plan and go where I need to go and do what I need to do. I'll be honest with you. You're, I, I'm a guy who has spent a lot of time in this chair, truth be told. I get what this is about. Galatians 5 talks about living in the tension between the struggle of living by the, the spirit and living by the sinful nature or the flesh. And sometimes you know what that's like too, where you, part of you wants to do, just say God first, but part of you is like, yeah, but I think I want to do this instead. And that's just kind of how sometimes we live. So here's, if you're wondering if maybe this second chair is something that is, is where you are, um, let me give you a couple of questions. Like, what about this? If God were to completely pull out of your life, would you for sure know the difference for how you're living today? Would you really notice? Who really calls the shots? Who really supplies the power and strength in your life? Or here's another question for you. Where do you turn for comfort? Like when you're stressed, when you need a break or just want to escape what's going on. Where do you turn? A chair, one person is a person who's, who's trying to say, Jesus, I want you to be my all in all. I want you to fill me. I want you to be my joy, my peace, my comfort, my strength, my joy in life. And chair two person says, yeah, that sounds good and I want that too. But the truth is, a chair two person more often in stress turns to just other stuff to try to fill and cope and get by, whether it's drugs and alcohol or a friend or, or uh, some unhealthy escape or sex or who knows what, where I've got to kind of medicate myself or food or whatever it might be. So that's part of the tension and the conflict that a person in chair two lives with. When it comes to who's boss, chair three boils down to, it's pretty clear cut, it's just self. It's about me. It's about my priorities and where I want to do. And so my question becomes, how does this affect me? And that's how I make decisions. What's, what's in it for me is how I, I, I go about my life. I'm not really interested in any spiritual or God voice. My main grid for everything is what's, what, what do I want in this and what's in it for me? And often chair three people for this reason, leave a little trail of bloody bodies behind them because what's important is what's important for them. And they often don't care how it, what impact it has on other people. Are you getting some insight into the chairs? Getting a feel for how it looks and works and make sure you're not uh, escaping the uh, self-introspection about maybe where you land, okay? I have a friend, uh, uh, Kyle, who would say it this way. Chair number one would be a follower. Jesus says, follow me. Guess what? Newsflash. A Christian is actually someone who follows Jesus. Like today, where did you go? What did you do? What's different about your path today because you're a Jesus follower? A follower. Chair two is more like what we describe as a fan. A fan is someone who's an admirer, a cheerleader, someone who's a supporter, maybe even infatuated. Okay? 
Um, like if you go to the Orioles game, you're going to see someone with the jersey on, painted orange face. They're all excited. They're cheering loudly. They're all about it. They know the stats and everything. But listen, they're not really in the game. They're, they're not making any sacrifices. They're just there. And if the Orioles lose like five games in a row, which could happen, they're probably off the fan bandwagon in a hurry. Okay, and, and Jesus has lots of fans like that. Like they're all about it. I put the bumper sticker on my car, tell my friends to go to church, whatever. Put on my Facebook status, Christian, Christian, whatever. But you know what? There's no real sacrifice. There's no real commitment. And if, and if, if things get hard and I have to take up a cross, I'm out. That's a fan. There, there's a guy. Uh, I don't have time to tell you about that guy. Chair three, it's not follower, not fan. It'd be foe, basically an enemy. You know, this is a person who, who just doesn't see the point in Jesus, and they're just not interested. Now, if you're into that, they'd probably be like, that's okay. Like, if you're into Star Trek, want to dress up and go to the conventions, fine. You know, but, and likewise, if you're a Christian, do that if you're right, but not for me. And so that person ultimately becomes a foe. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. So there you go. So there's a guy named Nicodemus in the Bible who was part of the group that was an enemy of Jesus. But he kind of starts flirting like, I want to kind of, he kind of starts to move over here to chair two. He comes at night. Nicodemus comes, we call him Nick at night. He comes for that reason. He comes to kind of check it out. He just wants to kind of see with, maybe I can learn about Jesus without having to change. And Jesus is like, John chapter three, he's like, listen, this is about getting born all over again. This is not a little makeup for Jesus on you. This is like a makeover. This isn't a little paint job in your bathroom. This is a total reconstruction of your life. Do you want to do this or not? And that's when he had to decide, was he going to be a foe or, or a sort of fan or a true you know, follower? And that's what every one of us has to decide as well. Okay? So let's rattle through a few more. What about the Bible? Chair number one submits to the Bible. The Bible, you know, you might still have uh, unanswered questions about the Bible. I do. You might have parts of the Bible that you don't understand or don't even like. I do. But, you know, I believe it's true. It's from God. And it's a gift. And it's, 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 it's something I want to know more. And, and it guides my life as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I submit to the Bible. Even if it's hard, I want to do it because I love it and I want to feed on it. Chair number two is like, it wouldn't be submit to the Bible. It would be more like, it'd be more like, I respect the Bible. You know, I really respect it. I think it's, you know, it's a holy book. It's a great book. I'll, I'll put my hand on it if I ever go to court. Uh, uh, you know, but, but I don't think we should go to extremes. And I've got other sources of authority in my life that are equally or honestly greater than the Bible sometimes. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And if I feel a certain way or someone else gives me advice, it might weigh just as heavily in my life as the Bible itself. But maybe the next day it'll be the Bible. And sometimes you're in conflict. So I respect it, but I don't want to get carried away. You know, chair three, when it comes to the Bible, I don't know. You, know, you own a Bible? Maybe. You know, whatever. You, you, you see it as an outdated, irrelevant book. It doesn't have any calling or bearing on your life. Tell me which chair you are in. I'll tell you what you think of the church. Okay? Chair number one is going to see the church as a community. Because it's about these broken, messed up people who are being filled with God's Spirit and used to see beautiful change happen in our lives and beautiful change happen in the world through us. And so the relationships in the church matter. I come and it's just like this beautiful organism, this living, pulsing thing that loves God, loves people, and serves the world. But chair number two is going to see it not like a, not like a, a community, but more like a club okay it's like an organization where you go you got some common things you know you network there you socialize it's not really a life-changing community it's more of an organization not an organism 
Chair 3 would see it merely like a custom. It's a social convention. It's a tradition. It's passed down through families. And if that's what you do, you do it. But it doesn't mean anything. All right? Marriage. Boy, marriage plays out differently depending on which chair you're in. Chair number one would, would ultimately be like marriage is a covenant this holy like love triangle with God in the center. So God, my spouse and I, kind of each of us trying to outdo each other with unconditional love. Where I serve you, you serve me, and that makes a beautiful, strong covenant. Two broken people being held together by the love of God. Chair two would see marriage more like a contract. Like I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, and we might have our church, you know, a wedding in a church, but that's about as much as Jesus really plays into the way we relate and live and decide to go in our marriage on a daily basis. It's like a contract. And chair number three would be would be more like just a convenience. You know, if it helps you and helps me, let's get married and, and be together. It's a secular partnership, and um, if my love, my, it's only as strong as our human love for each other. And if that runs out, well, then so do I. What about kids? How does the chair I'm sitting in affect my parenting? A lot. So chair number one, the high priority and the goal of a, of a parent sitting in chair one would be to raise godly kids. And you can see it in the way they prioritize and, and lead their lives. They want nothing more than for their kid to have their own relationship with God. To have their own sense of real relationship with Jesus. And so they're going to try to do everything they can to position their kid to experience that. Chair two, they want to raise good kids. They want good kids. You know, kids that get a good education, get a good job, stay out of trouble, make a good contribution to society. Chair three, they want successful kids. Having success, you know, in terms of your standing with God is not a priority, but maybe a good standing with a coach or uh, academic institution, those things matter a lot. But character formation and how the heart is developing, not so much. You know, here's a good place for me to remind us that first chair people and parents have the best shot at raising first chair kids. Okay? Now kids, honestly, they grow up and they make their own choices. And they do what they're going to do. They have minds of their own and wills of their own and they can, they can follow or not. But you bend the odds in your favor according to Scripture and just what we see in common sense and human experience. And that is that first-chair people have the best shot of producing kids that want to follow God and have their own relationship and become first-chair people themselves. Here's another fact. And that is that second-chair parents tend to raise third-chair kids. It's just, it's just the truth. I mean, you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense because they see, especially when they get to their high school years, they see, they see the waffling and the hypocrisy and they want something real and it tends to push them the other way. So if you're a parent, maybe the best thing you could do for your kid and the best thing you can do to help them become a first-year kid who's really connected to God is to do whatever you can by God's grace to live as many days as you can in that first year yourself. So let me, just, let me just ask a really personal question for you right now. As you think about all the things we've talked about and you kind of let God help you get honest about a snapshot of where you are today, 
What chair are you in? What chair are you in? Regardless of what chair you are in, I just want to urge you. I, I, would, I want to give a challenge to you today. That you would respond to however God is leading you. I might even give a word for each of you. If you, if you say, you know, I think honestly, I, by God's grace, I'm in chair one today. My challenge to you, the key word would be to rededicate your life. Rededicate your life to Jesus Christ just to make him number one full on and to give you opportunities. Thank God for whoever led you to that relationship with Christ. Thank Jesus for holding on to you through all of your stupidity and just hang in there and rededicate your life with everything you are. You know, Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. There's something every day. This isn't a decision you made a long time ago. You don't just plant once in the first chair and stay there. It's a daily decision. Choose this day who you're going to serve. And I just encourage you, if you're a first chair person, will you rededicate your life to Jesus Christ and live for him as full on like you never have before? Do that today. Rededicate yourself. There's nothing more important than that. Live so your parenting and your view of the Bible and your view of the church, your view of reality, your view of prayer is coming out of that first chair. Will you do that? I imagine that some of us, when we were talking through this stuff, felt like, man, you know what? That chair too feels like me. I think there's a lot of things that were said there that, truth be told, is just kind of where, where I'm, I'm sitting and spinning right now. And so the word I would give for you to respond today would be to repent. The word repent means to change. It means to turn, to move in the direction of God, to, to let your heart be open and then ache for what God wants to draw you toward himself. That you would let that happen in you, that you would take some steps, maybe one baby step toward Jesus and let him pull you back closer to where he wants you to be. That's what repent means. And I just urge you to, to do that. To make a recalibration in your life toward God. And you can do that. You know, the dangerous part about chair two is that people will tell themselves, you know, well, I really believe in Jesus. I want to remind you that the scripture says, you know what? The demons believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus ain't the deal. Okay? But trusting Him as your Lord and Savior and putting your faith into action where you're trusting Him on a daily basis, now that's the deal. That's what a follower does. So I'm encouraging you to do that. Listen, I am speaking to you as a person who spent a lot of time in this chair. I know what I'm talking about. You know what haunts me? Is words like Jesus, when He says in Matthew 7, that some, many who call out to me, Lord, 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 are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of the Father. This is a big deal. Verse 22 says that on judgment day it becomes clear which chair we're in. And many in this chair are going to come and they're going to say, Lord, 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 as if they're on a first name basis with Jesus. Didn't we do this? Didn't we speak in your name? Didn't we do all this amazing stuff in your name, Jesus? And Jesus says in verse 23, I'm going to look at them. I'm going to go, who are you? Get away from me. I don't even know who you are. So the deal isn't whether I convince myself or a bunch of other people that I really know who Jesus is. The question is, does Jesus know you? 
Have you opened your heart to say, come on in and know me in my inner person? So you're stopped trying to act religious on the outside and just say, I'm not good at all. But when you come in, Jesus comes in and fills you. And now it's like, okay, now I'm getting made from the inside out. That's chair one living right there. You're just saying, I want, I want more of Jesus. Jesus says, man, I wish you'd be hot or cold at least. You know, as it is, you're lukewarm. It just makes me want to puke you out of my mouth. So if you're not living fully for Christ, you've got all these compartments going and the faith part hasn't integrated the rest, just say, God, I want you to have the whole dresser today. I'm going to recalibrate my life, turn toward you. That's my call. Hope you'll do it today. Chair three, if you're here today in chair three and that's really just honestly who you are, I just want to say you are so welcome in this place. I am so glad you're here. I'm honest, I honestly mean that. You might be skeptical, you might be hard-hearted, you might have had some stupid Christians do something to you or a church that hurt you or I don't know what, you might be mad at God or have intellectual questions or I don't know what it is, but you know, for whatever reason, I know this, I know that no amount of arguing or pushing is going to help you at all, but I do know this, what will help you, here's my word for you, would you just receive some of the love of Jesus into your heart for you. God loves you so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe and receive him could just have that relationship with him. And so my encouragement, would you receive a little bit of that love today? Just let God love you a little today. And just know this is a safe place for you to hang out and figure it out and ask your questions. This is a church for you. This is a church for people who don't go to church. And so you can, you can come and hang out here with us. Now I want to remind you, chair three people, I know it looks and feels temporarily comfortable, but it's, you, you and I both know it's not very comfortable really long term. And you're hoping against hope that you're right about this whole eternal life thing. And it's, it's full of actually a lot of disappointments in this life as well. And I don't want you to be haunted with what happens after you die. And so I just pray you'll receive the good news that Jesus already took care of that for you and take him as your Lord and Savior. And I should warn you, the longer you sit in a chair like that, the harder it is to get out. It's really comfortable. And you think, oh, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, because it's too comfortable. But I'm telling you, today is the day. So what am I asking? I'm saying, could everyone here just rededicate themselves to Jesus or repent and turn to him or just receive his love? And I don't know which it is for you, but maybe it's all above. I don't know. But I hope you'll do that. And you know what? Today, uh, at 1 o'clock today, as soon as we're done here, we're going to walk outside and there's a solar-heated baptistry out there <laughs> in the parking lot right now. And some of you need to get in that water with me as a way of taking some action on, on the decision you just made. And I hope that you'll do that. Let me pray for us. God, you have given everything and it deserves our best. Forgive us for our half-hearted, lukewarm living, for our complacency. And God, just help us want to be in that first chair and to move there. And then thank you by your grace for holding on to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.